It's October 31st, 2022. As I drink some of this water, stay hydrated. Just wanted to talk boxing really quick while I'm patiently waiting for T. Higgins to save both of my fantasy teams. I'm really dependent on him, and he's not doing anything right now in Monday Night Football. So I wanted to take some time and talk some boxing. Maybe it'll get my mind off of this fantasy football debacle that I have going on. But nonetheless, let's talk real quick about some of the fights that happened this past weekend. It was a decent weekend. We had the return of Vasily Lomachenko. I thought Lomachenko looked rusty. I thought Jermaine Ortiz really did extremely well. I thought he was up early in the fight. I actually scored a draw. During the 10th round, though, I was I was having a conversation and only half paying attention, and I scored it for Ortiz. I actually went back and watched it. The 10th round, I, in hindsight, I um, gave to Lomachenko. So that would give Lomachenko a 7-5 to five advantage. But I could see a draw, a 7-5 either way. The 117-111 scorecard was absolutely ridiculous, but it didn't surprise me. We see this all the time with A-sides getting a benefit of the doubt in a close fight. A lot of those close rounds will just automatically go to the favorite. It's happened a million times before. It's going to continue to happen in this sport. That is one of the things that you kind of expect. At least one out of the three judges is going to have a favorable scorecard for the bigger star, the A-side, or a hometown favorite. Some things like that. Home country usually get some type of bias, whether it's the crowd going crazy for their favorite fighter, that can tend to sway the judges and the viewer. You can think you're seeing something that's not really there. A lot of punches that, even if they're close, fans and attendants who can't all have great sight of the punch will go nuts, start cheering for their favorite. So that happens a lot. So I didn't, didn't surprise me. It just kind of was laughable. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't really indicative of what was taking place inside the ring. Jermaine Ortiz fought a hell of a fight. It was his first time going 12 rounds. I thought if he had a little bit more experience, he would have won that fight. He definitely made his mark felt in the lightweight division. I think he'll get another opportunity. Lomachenko, it looks like he's going to move on to Devin Haney. That should be a good one. I think Lomachenko is going to be better than he was on this night. Um, like I said, a little rusty, but still you can tell the athleticism, the size, the speed of Ortiz was a problem for him. Whenever he's in there with a top athlete, they give him issues. That is one thing that's for sure about Lomachenko. You get in there with a guy who's younger than him, who's faster than him or as fast as him, and isn't willing to give up the landscape. He's not just going to let you come in and invade his, his area. Jermaine Ortiz made Lomachenko pay every time he tried to get in but Lomer is a smart fighter. Of course, he did find his way inside later in the fight. But it just took longer than expected because Ortiz was willing to throw every time Lomachenko tested him. And he was usually quicker to the punch. He was usually first on a lot of these exchanges. Good fight from both guys. Lomachenko just didn't seem to be on his A game. Whether that's the time off or what. it was. He hasn't been out of the ring that long. But I do understand his mind, I'm sure, was elsewhere. But we'll see. When he gets in there with Devin Haney, um, he's going to have to be at his best to have a shot at that fight. I personally favor Devin Haney in that fight. I think he's all wrong for Lomachenko stylistically. But I would love to see it. Both guys seem willing to make it. Lomachenko went out of his way to say, hey, Devin Haney's the A-side. I'm willing to do whatever to make that fight happen. I want all the belts. He has all the belts. So let's do it. 
So we'll see. Devin Haney says he can make 135 again. I have been saying that I think he should move up to 140. I think the weight cut does hurt him. But if he can comfortably make it like he says he can, then make the fight happen. And I know my money would be on Devin Haney, that's for sure. I'm just excited about the future of this 135-pound division. We're supposedly close to getting Ryan Garcia versus Javante Tank Davis. But with this sport, when you hear supposedly close and things like that, it doesn't really matter. So I don't want to – I mean, I'm, I'm excited if it happens, but I'm not believing that it's happening right now, especially on the heels of this Terrence Crawford versus Earl Spence fight not happening then it's hard to really believe anything when they say, oh, things are closed. Don't tell me when it's closed. Tell me when it's done. Tell me when it's finalized and dudes have a date, a venue, ticket sales, and a fight card. Let me know then. If we can get that matchup, then that's fantastic for the division. You also have Shakur Stevenson, and then you have William Zapata, who made a statement against Jojo Diaz. This was a fight that I thought was 50-50 going in. Jojo Diaz is a great technical boxer. I thought he could do things to confuse Zapata slow him down a bit, maybe even edge a decision. That was not the case. Zapata came in there, guns blazing from round one, didn't really let Jojo into the fight. Jojo had a few moments, of course, but it was all Zapata all the time. He actually did something that has never been done before. He actually broke the record for lightweight punches thrown in a fight. 1,536 punches in a 12-round fight. That equates to 128 punches per round. This dude was letting off shots non-stop to the point JoJo had to make a decision. Do I want to look for a big opening and try and land something big? Or do I want to throw with this guy and potentially get stopped because this guy is throwing power shots at an incredible rate? William Zapata is going to be a problem, a mismatch nightmare for any fighter at 135. I'm telling you right now. Will he win every fight? I'm not saying that. I don't think so. I think guys can beat him, but he is going to be a tough out for anybody. I don't care what your style is. This guy just threw 1,500 punches in a 12-round fight at 135. Insane. That is just ridiculous. Hard to keep up with. What are you going to do? You got to pick your poison with that guy. Are you willing to take some of those shots in order to get off your own? I don't know. We thought he was good going in. He's even better than advertised, I think, after this destruction of Jojo Diaz. Where Jojo Diaz goes next, I'm not sure. He's still highly skilled. He has heart. I think um, they were alluding to him having gym issues, maybe not being in the gym as often as he should. So if he can focus himself and dedicate himself, I think he'll get another opportunity before he becomes that like official gatekeeper type level. But after what William Zapata did to him, I'm more focused on what William Zapata did right than what Jojo Diaz did wrong. Zapata definitely made a statement and put himself on the map in a loaded 135-pound division. Keep an eye out for William Zapata. No matter who his next opponent is, I'm sure it's going to be a fun one to watch. And I don't think guys will be lining up to fight this guy. Guys who are lining up to fight each other, though, are over in Japan. If you're not familiar with this fight coming up, you have to watch it. This is tomorrow morning. If you're on the East Coast, this is literally in a few hours. This is tomorrow, early, early morning, I believe like 7 a.m. It's going to air on our time. Over in Japan, I'm sure it's a primetime event. This is two of their best fighters in the entire country going at it for number one in the division. This is one versus two defending both the WBC and the WBA light flyweight titles. I'm talking about Shiro Taraji versus Hiroto Kayoguchi. 
If you do not know who these two guys are, please watch this fight. This is going to be electric. This is high-quality steak in a sport that has been feeding us Halloween candy lately. This is the real deal. You want to talk about the best versus the best. Like I said, number one versus number two. This is truly one of the best fights in the sport of boxing. It's just a shame a lot of these guys are unknown. This is the fight to watch. This is the card to watch, actually, in general. This whole card is going to be full of fun. Please, if I can get one person who wasn't going to watch this fight to watch this fight, then I've done my job here. I started this podcast to spread awareness for this sport, the sport I love of boxing. And if you can take time to watch this fight as a boxing fan and you don't come away from it liking it, then, hey, never watch another Japanese card again. But trust me, much like New Japan Pro Wrestling, if you're a wrestling fan, you watch NJPW, you'll love it. This boxing era for the Japanese boxing community has been on fire. This division, light flyweight, has been on fire. And these guys are giving you the best versus the best. We can complain about other divisions all we want. We can complain about 147, the glamour division, not getting Spence Crawford. But these guys, yes, they're not as known. But this, the winner of this fight is going to be mentioned in pound-for-pound conversations. Trust me, this is the real deal. Give it a shot. Kyle Gucci versus Taraji. Listen, Taraji is 19-1 with 11 KOs. That one loss, he got knocked out in the ninth or 10th round. I believe it was the 10th round of a championship fight. That was his ninth defense of the championship. He was going for the all-time record of the division. He had eight consecutive title defenses in a row before being stopped by Yabuki in a highly competitive fight. He rematches Yabuki and stops him in the third round to avenge his only loss. So he's coming into this fight, avenging his only loss in a three-round stoppage, complete domination for three rounds. Before that, he was champion since 2017. On the other hand, you have Hiroto Kayaguchi, who's been champ since 2018. This guy has been on fire. He has been dominating, undefeated. Like I said, 16-0, 11 knockouts. He is high class, high volume. He has footwork to match it. He has defense to match it. This really is the best versus the best. When I saw his last fight versus Bermudez, I thought this dude is next level. He assaulted and bloodied and dropped Bermudez, left him looking like Michael Myers' victim until the referee finally stopped it in the eighth round. We're going to get high skill, violence. I cannot recommend this fight enough. Listen, Kaioguchi is amazing. He had one of the he has one of the best uppercuts in the sport, period. Any division, this dude is top-notch. Taraji, on the other hand, is a technical pressure fighter. He will stalk you down, but he isn't reckless about it. Every subtle movement has a purpose. This guy will take a little time to figure out, but... Once he gets you on the inside, it's really over. He likes to faint to get on the inside. He'll stalk you, trying to find openings to land that big right hand. He'll flash hand speed here and there. He'll let off combos at times, but it's all to set up the straight right. Anything to get you open, anything to get your, your eyes wandering off or your hands lowering down to protect your body, he's coming upstairs with the right hand. And once he has you figured out, it's over. He doesn't play with his food. He finishes the job. Kaoguchi needs to confuse Taraji early. He needs to drown him late if he can. Confuse him a little early with the footwork and give him different looks. You can switch stances if you have to. Taraji isn't the same on his back foot. 
So if Kyle Gucci can confuse him early and then later on apply the pressure, and that's when you start landing those big uppercuts and really try and take it to him. But if he does it early, he could be in danger. Kyle Gucci has the better legs of the two. But again, I'm nitpicking here. This is a 50-50 fight, as 50-50 as it gets. I slightly favor Kyle Gucci, but if Taraji times him early, it could be over before it even begins. It's truly the top two fighters for multiple championships. It's a massive fight for Japan. I expect a damn near sellout at the Super Arena. I think you can fit upwards of 25,000 people in there. And these are the two guys in that country that could really bring that crowd out. That's how big this fight is. This is truly historic, and I can't wait to watch it. Cannot recommend it enough. It's on ESPN+. Plus. It's going to be on early, early on the East Coast. Like I said, ring walk's probably around 7 a.m. But the good thing about ESPN+, Plus, it's going to be there on demand. You don't have to watch it live. Watch the card later. Just please go out of your way to watch this card. If you're a fan of boxing, you will like what you're seeing. The entire card should really be fun. On the co-main, you have Jonathan Gonzalez versus Sukichi Iwata for the WBO version of that super junior flyweight title. The winners of the co-main and the main event should square off later um, in 2023. So this is just a great division that has all the top guys fighting each other. Another guy to keep an eye on on this card is Masayoshi Nakatani, former opponent of Vasily Lomachenko and Tiafimo Lopez mostly notable for being six feet tall at 135. Big puncher as well. He's up in there tough with Shochiro Yoshino. Excuse the pronunciation on that one. That one's tough. But this guy from Japan also has been running through everyone. He's undefeated. So this will be a real test here. If he can get through Nakatani, he can make some noise at 135. In a division that expands way larger than Japan, that is one of the best divisions in the sport. So if Yoshino can put on a big performance... On a great card like this, he can really make some noise. If 135 is already stacked, if you can add another name to it, what's better than that? This is just a great time for that division. And it's also just another great example of why it's a myth that guys aren't fighting each other. This is one of the only unifications in that division at light flyweight in its history. There hasn't been too many. You have to go back far to find the last lineal champion of this division. So we're getting the best fighting the best. you got to find it. It's just in different places. Even next weekend, you have Dimitri Vival versus Cabrito Ramirez. That is two of the top three at 175. If you have better B, you have number one. You have to have these guys, two and three. Ramirez and Bivol, both undefeated. Both have good wins on their resume, and they're fighting each other. So another example, best fighting the best. Hey, we're getting it. Just maybe not in the exact places we want, the exact time we want. 147, of course, is going through that now. We have to wait. And see what's next for Earl Spence. Bud Crawford went out on his own. As I mentioned in the last podcast. And he's fighting a can in his next fight. Uh, why he did that we don't know. But it's clear he didn't want to fight Spence. There's just too much evidence. To to really back this dude. I mean he's even been on record saying many times. Oh I don't need the Spence fight. I had this. I've accomplished that. I've won this title. I've won that title. I'm here to tell you right now. Stephen A. Smith voice. We don't care. We don't care what you've done, bud. You're not getting in the ring with Errol Spence Jr. That's what we're going to remember you at. That's what you're going to be remembered for. Not fighting Errol Spence Jr. So I suggest you get through with your little bum fight that you have scheduled and get back to the negotiation table with no more leverage than you had before because you're fighting a scrub and no one's going to buy it. No one's going to care. And it's not going to add any credibility because you are fighting a low-level scrub. 
Meanwhile, Earl Spence has options on the table. What's he going to do? The WBC ordered Thurman. The IBF ordered Boots Ennis. And what? The WBA ordered Stanione, says Spence's resume. So, I mean, Spence is mandatory. So either way, his mandatories are Thurman, Boots, Stanionis. Three fantastic fights for Earl Spence to make, all highly competitive, all with different issues, different styles for each guy. Great options and won't be mad at either one of them, especially since it's because Crawford already has a fight. It's not like Spence is doing this instead of Crawford. No, Crawford already has his fight announced. It was a blindside to Earl Spence to find out that he had another opponent. So I'm willing to take any of these three fights. But I also like the other option of Spence moving up. Say he's done with 147. He's been making this weight for his entire pro career. He fought as an amateur at 152. So he's already cutting weight since he was an amateur. This dude is a bigger guy. So I would not be mad if Spence moved up to 154 and fought um, Sebastian Fundora, which has been rumored and I think would be an amazing matchup. Both undefeated. Spence moving up to a new division. A true dangerous puncher in Fundora, that would be a fun one. So that's four options right there. A dark horse is Virgil Ortiz. Maybe that can get made. Either way, Errol Spence is going to make a big fight. This guy doesn't do tune-ups. So I'm really curious to see what he's going to pick. I believe he only has a couple of weeks to make this decision because the mandatories are really all aiming for him right now to finally decide. So I personally, as a biased Keith Thurman fan, I would love for it to be Thurman Spence. I think the buildup would be great. I think it's a more money fight. And I think it's a little bit more of a legacy fight, even more than Boots Ennis, because as good as Boots Ennis is right now, we don't know how good he's going to be. Keith Thurman already has the pedigree of the division. He was the guy who beat Danny Garcia first. He was the guy who beat Sean Porter before most of his peers besides Kell Brook. He already did these things that Earl Spence eventually did. So I think it's only right that you get these two versus each other to say, hey, listen, we fought everyone in our era outside of Terrence Crawford. That looks worse for Terrence Crawford if all these guys mixed it up. The Danny Garcias, the Sean Porters, Keith Thurman, and then Earl Spence. If these guys have all said, hey, we've been in the ring with each other, that's great for history. That shows, listen, all these guys truly made the best fights available. The Boots fight, though, is probably the most interesting because as much as I love Thurman and I love Spence just as well, these are two of my favorite fighters, but I can kind of see how that's going to go. I can kind of picture in my mind exactly how that fight is going to go. The Boots fight, I cannot picture. It's unknown. It's unpredictable. That's why I love it because Boots is so dangerous and he's so, he's, he's raw, but in a good way. He's not green he's he's seasoned but it's just you don't know if he's going to do that against top guys we don't know yet so to go into a big fight with spence with the unknown being there i think is a lot of fun i would love for that matchup and the stanionis fight it's the least um it's the most underwhelming of the three or four if you count fundora as an option it is but it's still a tough one stanionis against butaev was fun as hell and that was on the Uga Spence card, I believe. And that was the fight of the night. That fight was a war. And Stanionis deserved the victory, beating an undefeated, high-volume, high-pressure guy like Butaev and beat him up pretty badly. That 
would be another fun one with Spence. It's just he doesn't have the drawing power or like the the overall fan intrigue as the other guys. But it would be a fun styles clash. Again, I'm looking forward to any of these fights. They're all better than what Crawford decided to do with his career. So I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about 2023 as a whole. But again, let's enjoy these fights that we're getting tomorrow. Please tune into that fight, whether it's live, whether it's a week from now. Go back and watch this card. It's going to be electric. I will say it one more time. Shiro Taraji versus Hiroto Kayoguchi on ESPN+. Plus. If you're in the United States, I believe elsewhere it's on Amazon Prime, especially in Japan. It's available on Amazon Prime. Um, but yeah, ESPN+. Plus early in the morning on Tuesday, November 1st. But again, you can watch it on demand. And then next week, you have Vivo versus Ramirez. I'm going to release another podcast later this week, previewing that one in full. That's all I got for you guys. Enjoy your Halloween. I think T. Higgins is still screwing me. I don't think he scored anything. Oh, we got a little bit of action. He's got me 15 points. I'm still behind, though. This guy, of course, has Kareem Hunt, who's who's doing pretty well. And my tight end for the Browns literally has a zero. So there goes that. Unless he can get a bomb here, there's only five minutes left. But I definitely need him to score at least to even have a shot. But that's all I got for you guys this week. Thanks for tuning in. Give me that five-star review. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Share it. Like it. Subscribe to it. Do all that stuff. I'm out.